Because this is a pervert film. (laughs) This is a pervert film. So I think I've said that. that for every movie we watched so far, and yeah, I still every agree. <laughs> what is the real theme of this of this podcast? Welcome to High Level Casting. Repress sexual tension and like <laughs> Freudian, uh, Freudian nightmares. Where we experience nightmares so that you can also. So I am, I guess, your host, uh, evolving host, Jeremy. And I am joined today with uh, Sound Off, folks. I'm Ethan. I am a jellical warlock and aspirant <laughs> of the heavy side layer uh, and overall cat enthusiast. So really happy to be here. Thank you. And I'm Holly. I'm a retired, insufferable theater kid. And I am also a cat enthusiast, which I was not before the preparation that I did before this show. I've, I am a born-again cat enthusiast, if you will. You, you've yeah. devoted yourself to the craft so, so much. Speaking hey, of cat the craft, fan number one. We're gonna be, I feel like we're going to end up Speaking talking about magic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Point. Not just because there's a character that is a magician, but because uh, I feel like this movie um, and musical, you know, both it is a spell, and once it is it an act of chaos magic interspersed into the world. We all have different first encounters with cats. You know, naturally, you always remember your first time. <laughs> Mine is that it was the time that I didn't see cats. I was in high school. I won a trip to go to Washington D.C. at the time. And so on the way to D.C. in this bus full of terrible, horny high schoolers, for some reason, the advisors, the people in charge were like, let's go to dinner theater in Pennsylvania. And that's going to be our first one of our first stops. And we had our meal and it turned out the production was Cats. And after I had had my meal and I was, you know, miles, thousands of miles away from home on the stupid bus and the stupid dinner theater which, you know, mad respect for anybody who's, you know, just, just grinding it out and performing cats to ungrateful pieces of shit like myself. But, you gotta uh, pay your dues. Uh, I had terrible nervous boy syndrome where, like, I was out of my element, just away from everybody. And in dinner theater, you know, somebody, like, has to kind of explain how theater works, you know, to these, <laughs> these folks yes. that, are, that are just eating these monsters. I have something to say about that in a second. Yeah. Yeah. And so this person comes out and says, well, with this particular dinner theater, like the space was like a large square where the food was placed in the center that would be converted to the stage. And then uh, the four quadrants around it was the seating area. But all four hallways were going to be blocked off. Can't escape. Showman. Yeah, exactly. And they were like, if you have to use the restroom, please do so now because once you're here, it goes on. So. As the intro to Cats, which I will place here. So that intro starts playing, like the lights descend. I get hit with a wave of nausea. <laughs> like I have to, I feel like I'm going to, you know, just lose my dinner at that point right there. And so I, I then have to make a choice. Either I'm going to ride up the nausea and maybe vomit on my table mates. Or I can start sneaking past these cats that are beginning to crawl out of the hallway in the shadows and these, like, laser lights. 
I time it, I dodge out, and I just descend into what is now backstage, where there's just normal people <laughs> that were formerly my waiters and waitresses, hosts and hostesses, just uh-huh. doing full stretches in like full cat costume, having normal like everyday conversations. Is anyone who performs dinner theater for a living a normal person though? That's no, that's probably a big question. Not. Like if you can like just talk about it's on low on the hierarchy. If you can just kind of talk about like your day while you're like you know doing lunges and like a full leotard with hair glued to your face, you know, I feel like you're entering some new level of humanity. It's a um, new normal. I, I stumbled my way out past the cats, and I was out on the external area of the dinner theater, like the the main entrance, and there was the chef was waiting outside. Just His work was done for the night. He was smoking a cigarette. I turned and I looked at him. He looks at me, and he's like, hey, dude. He's like, how you doing? I was like, oh, oh man. I, uh, I, I, I was pretty nauseous, so I, I, I got out. He's like, whoa, good for you. I've had people shit themselves in there before, so... <laughs> Good job escaping. And I, I looked at him and just kind of, we have an awkward, silent moment. And he goes, it's kind of cold out here. You want to like, go back inside? And I'm just like, nah. And he's like, don't blame me. Don't blame me, dude. <laughs> and so I just sat outside of the theater hearing the music and the, all the escapades of it. And uh, I never saw cats until uh, 2019, where I decided to... <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately, to uh, consume an edible and go to a theater in public. And uh, that was my true first experience with cats. And, you know, never forget. But anyway, yeah. That was me. Never Beautiful. forget. <laughs> never, never forget. Uh, I was just going to talk about watching the movie, because I am also a retired insufferable theater person. So I've seen cats on stage and have done work in theater, but your story reminded me also that my first experience with cats was one of horror and revulsion. I must've been three or four years old. And so you mentioned the staff had to explain to all these high schoolers what theater was and how it worked. (laughs) But imagine there's a point maybe before you're five years old where you don't really understand how theater works. You don't understand like it's fictional. And my parents and my aunt and uncle and myself and my cousins all went to a theater to watch cats. And so I'm a little kid. I don't really have the attention span. So I didn't really watch much of the actual musical. But a fun thing that happens afterwards is all of the actors come out in costume. So all the kids can shake hands with them and sign their autographs, which the parents think is adorable. But for a four-year-old child who is just seeing these cat monsters, right, in the full, you know, the costume, like the, the, the glam, the glam core costume, and you think they're like, living monsters and so i was terrified bawling trying to run away and my parents were like no no get the autograph from old deuteronomy and i'm like no what is this thing <laughs> and so that was my first experience and then i watched the movie uh, in 2019 right an earlier more simple time in our lives mm-hmm. maybe what eight months ago now you never appreciate what you have until it's gone. Exactly, that's right. 
this is the wasteland. But I also felt horror and revulsion, but also great enjoyment. This was one of the best theater experiences I've had in a long time watching Cats. I agree. I think that my first experience, I've never seen Cats on stage, despite being a theater person myself for much of my youth. But the first time that I saw Cats 98 was with other theater people. Some, I think it was someone was having like a, a gala at their house, like before opening night or something with a, the cast of a show that I was in. And they had put on cats in the background as sort of like background ambiance for their party, as one does when they are an insufferable theater person. (laughs) And also they own a home. Um, (laughs) I I sort of saw it fleetingly in passing. I must have been like maybe 11 or 12 at that point. Cats 2019 I saw on Christmas Eve in a theater... That was, I I would say, probably about half full, which seems surprising for Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And I went with a friend and we got drunk before we we were like walking to the theater. So we got drunk at home and then walked to the theater. But it was so cold out because it was winter. By the time we got to the theater, we were sober again. So we needed to go to the movie theater <laughs> bar and get additional beverages in order to vamp it up before we get there. And we're talking to the bartender and he was like, oh yeah, like apparently there's a patch that's missing from the screening so that all of the cats have people feet and people hands instead of, because there was a patch that they hadn't released initially that was supposed to cover their hands with (laughs) CGI, but it was missing from the initial release. So he was like, I don't know what's going on in there, but like, maybe you'll see people hands and maybe you won't. (laughs) By this time, you know, we'd had a few really shitty, like $17 margaritas and we were like, yeah. And then we roll into the theater and realize that we're about 20 minutes late and (laughs) we arrive in the middle of the Rebel Wilson scene where she's like taking off her skin in order to reveal the like tap costume underneath that precedes the dancing cockroach number. So we're, you know, both of us just like totally blitzed and we get in there and already we like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And it doesn't really get any clearer from then on, but we're having a great time. We sit right in the front row. There are people in the theater who are trying to actually enjoy the experience of watching cats in a genuine way which we deeply disrespected over and over again. Uh, and Excellent. it was great. It was probably the best Christmas I've ever had in my life. Excellent. Aww, Christmas miracle. Yeah, absolutely. I Cats think, 2019, yeah, I, a Christmas miracle that ushered in a nightmare of a reality. Yeah. The last bit of joy you'll ever have. Um, Truly. I also want to say that getting the pre-patched movie, like getting there to see the the human hands was a like a point of importance for me and my brother. I was in America at the time when I saw it. And so we were like, we got to see it this week before they update the movie and like fix it. Like we need to see it in its raw, hideous form. (laughs) Right. And so very similarly, this was like a, a midnight movie screening for myself and my brother. There were a few people that wanted to like appreciate cats and I wasn't doing that at all. 
I was probably very disrespectful as an audience member, but everyone around me seemed to have a blast. So, so for me, uh, when I was there, I was respectful, but it wasn't because of any sort of agency. You were in the I, wormhole. If you've, if anyone listening or like here has partaken in edibles and has reached the point where you are too high, mm-hmm. you realize it. This movie is two hours long. <laughs> yes. And I feel like I distinctly remember like leaving the theater feeling relieved, but like when you're high, you can kind of crystallize on certain thoughts. And for me, the thought that really like formed in the center of my like brain was trapped. <laughs> like I, I was like, how long is this movie? I had never seen it before. I'm like, <laughs> how many more scenes and songs am I going to have to watch? And I was like, you know, like at Rum Tum Tugger, what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, Jesus. And, you know, by the end of it, I had become a new person. The old me had been shed. I was born again. And now we're here. So So much like like your childhood experience, you were locked in a room where you couldn't escape. (laughs) absolutely right? and that the is the room was your body yes, yeah, the room, the room was my body. your body that was also a room Crap. but the thing was is i escaped as a child but this time it got <laughs> yeah you were able to get out it was you like, had to sit and it was watch. like it chapter two it was back <laughs> yeah and so yeah art is art it is art there are people <laughs> that truly will like enjoy the broadway show but then you know i don't know you can you can find reviews where people are like this is this is for me you know, like, <laughs> right, right. And so I don't want to disparage those people, but they are, are, are strange and I never want to meet them. Um, yeah, the uh, theater in general, like nothing kind of comes out of a vacuum, right? There is growth. There is, there are things being made and this, this is a part of a whole, right? So mm-hmm. things came before it. Things can come after. <laughs> Things will not come after. I'm sorry. <laughs> the apocalypse. This is uh, year zero. So, but, just but to yeah, say theater it, kids, tell me what the fuck is going on. Uh, when it comes to cats, this this is for me. So, <laughs> like, yeah, where do we want to start? Um, I mean, just yeah. fundamentally, Jeremy, you're talking about how you know you had this moment pretty early in the film where you were like, "How long?" is this when will it end and so that's how i felt rewatching the 98 cut and then it turns out that the 98 because there's a bunch of stuff in the 98 cut that's not in the 2019 cut the 98 cut is over two hours long and apparently there's a bunch of stuff that they cut out of the stage production in order to make the 98 cut so the 98 version is not it's not like a recording of a live performance. Mm-hmm. It is. It was recorded without an audience. There were a number. It was spread out over a couple of weeks, and then they sort of cut it together in order to make it palatable for a for a home video audience. But it is extraordinarily long. It's so long, and there's no plot. It's just cats introducing themselves <laughs> in yep. a desperate bid to die. Yeah, yeah, that's... They are seeking death. They're seeking death and enlightenment. Yeah, every musical to some extent is like, how long is this? If you don't like musicals in the first place and like you go to a stage performance, they're all like two and a half hours long, right? You get 10 minute break sometimes, but they're all extremely long. So you have to really be devoted to 
musical as an art form to we're really here. appreciate. It. We're doing this for you. You have to stay. Right. Put yeah. All this effort like, into this. You go with your mom to see Wicked and you're like, fuck this. <laughs> you know, you have to already want to see Wicked to go see it or Hamilton or anything like that. And you've paid like $85 for a cheap seat. At least. Yeah. yeah. At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with uh, Hamilton tickets. One of the other things about cats is that there aren't a lot of like quiet moments in mm. the show. I think that with other shows, the pacing is such that there's, you know, there's like sort of arcs that are, you know, big and exciting. And then there's sort of like smaller, quieter moments. And because cats has such a huge ensemble, that's like on stage almost a hundred percent of the time, there's just not a lot of rest for your brain or you're like (laughs) you're just constantly processing information and you know the cats introduce themselves for the entirety of the show but even after two hours you still haven't been introduced to all the cats so there's just a vast array of cats they all have names there's a an enormous quantity of lore for this show (laughs) that is not that's not contextualized in the show so if you watch the movie or if you see the stage performance it still doesn't clarify all of the lore. Right. Because I it's guess the, the core of the story is that not only is Andrew Lloyd Webber a hack, but he's also a big nerd. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot of secret knowledge in this musical. And like when it's being performed by uh, a theater group, like every cat, even the ones that are just backup dancers, have like their own developed personality and storyline. Right. Um, they never tell you. You never learn. It's just like interior to their awareness of how they will stand at the back of the stage and hope that exactly. nobody looks at them. High class act. Or I guess that's the thing is they don't hope that nobody looks at them. They all have to sort of have these distinct personalities that like yeah. unify together as a cat tribe. Which right. is, even, I have even opinions the, about that that I'll bring up later. <laughs> good. Even the Excellent. proletarian cats, even the proles are searching enlightenment, right? We care Absolutely. about... Mungo Jerry and uh, uh, Mistopheles, but <laughs> what about Gregory in the back? So if we want to look at the musical as a specific art form, right? So not opera, not straight theater, not just theater, but like a musical This developed mostly, I think, in the United States following the vaudeville theater tradition, right? And so your first musical and specifically developing in New York, right? Which is where Broadway is, which is where the cultural heart of musical theater uh, resides. Early musicals were a lot like Cats in structure in that they were just song and dance with no story. And it was just like a spectacle of costumes. Ethan, is this true? Or are you just very Yeah, no, this is absolutely true. No, I'm, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> Musical uh, Loris we have in our yeah. list. I, I, I mean, am also that, like, how much do you know and why? <laughs> I, I am also a degenerate theater nerd. <laughs> like, this is me. Anyway, right? All these like show tune, big like it's just chorus line stuff. Ladies in revealing outfits and jokes and stuff. Rogers and Hammerstein come in in the forties and create what we understand as the musical today with Oklahoma. So Oklahoma is like the first, uh, how would I want to put it? Um, I don't know who I'd say Rodgers and Hammerstein were. Yeah. So 
one interesting thing, right? Like Rodgers and Hammerstein specifically made Oklahoma in a way that subverted expectations, red letter media style, subverted your expectations. The typical musical would open the curtain up to a glamorous chorus line of, of singers and dancers where Oklahoma opens up to an empty cornfield and one old woman churning butter. Right. And so this was, we're making art now, guys. This is, this is a story about the soul, which Oklahoma is goofy and stupid and old, but uh, at the time, it was revolutionary, right? Because it interspersed singing with just moments of straight theater. So just acting, not singing and dancing. And then there were more things that happened with musicals in general. That form evolved. So let's get to Andrew Lloyd Webber specifically. Hack fraud. He is the James Cameron of musical theater. I don't know who Rodgers and Hammerstein are, but he is the... You know, the, the old story of aliens with the S being a dollar sign. Yes. He's saying, how can I take this beautiful art form and make a shitload of money off of it? And he's very, very good at that. Right? Like we looked at he earlier. He knows what the people want. Exactly. He, hits the, he, he knows what rich and upper middle class people want. And he knows how to indulge that with just enough art to make it like artistic right yeah any of the like swelling orchestral moments of cats could have led directly into a swelling orchestral moment from phantom or from christ superstar like you know i guess every artist has their calling card or whatever but like Mm -hmm. andrew Weber has many calling cards because (laughs) all his shows are the same they are all the same they're all kind of boring um kind of except for starlight express you know about starlight express i know about starlight express yeah, it's, it's it's something else if you don't know about starlight express it's like cats except all the characters are trains and it's performed all- <laughs> on roller skates They're anthropomorphic trains. What? Yeah. It never, it never got as popular in the United States, but the British. But it's very popular in Europe. Show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, the longest, one it. of the longest running shows in Germany. There's like a special theater that's constructed especially for it because again, it's performed entirely on roller skates. I'm going to have to know more about this. It's resulted in numerous injuries. <laughs> yeah. Especially because of that, you know, destructive creativity right up there with like <laughs> right. spider-man turn off the dark like yes yeah there's some there's some like pro wrestling injuries in that shit <laughs> like it's bad um, yeah he loves to just like take sort of like what if i could take this innocent interesting but simplistic concept and like turn it into a two-hour long spectacle where mm-hmm. people dress like david bowie say their name over and over again <laughs> that's right and so what cats comes out in 81 1981 Andrew Lloyd Webber is already very famous here, but he he had already made, I think, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Jesus Christ Superstar, Avita. I think he made Avita, but this was like his first risk. He he had this idea, and it was kind of a risky idea. Producers thought it was risky. They were really worried it was going to fail. So kind of a Star Wars moment in this case, where everyone thinks this is going to suck. What the fuck? is this thing about cats like he takes these collection of poems and he's like i'm going to make this into a musical about cats this nonsense collection uh it comes out in 1981 and it's wildly popular everyone loves cats 
not just in Britain, right? This is the first mega musical. Like this is a blockbuster musical. And after this point, producers are saying, we need to make more musicals like this. High spectacle, low content, <laughs> but like a lot of Cats appeal is its aesthetic quality. It's, it's costumes, it's set design. It's not one you can do in like high school theater, right? It has to have that high money production value. What's interesting is that it sort of harkens back to that old musical tradition where it's just songs about individual cats and a lot of dancing, right? You're just looking at songs and dances without much story in between. I'm curious what you think, Ethan, about this. Would you classify cats as an opera because there is functionally no dialogue? Uh, That's hard. I don't know, because there's a lot of other musicals like that. I wouldn't quite call it an opera, and I'm not sure why. Maybe a rock opera. I mean, I guess it's possible that there is dialogue in, like, the the full stage production that gets cut out for the movies, but... There isn't. It's all sung through. (laughs) Yeah, it's all... Yeah, this is a sung through production. But that's the same for, like, what, Les Mis is also... Yeah, through, but that's kind of a it's an operetta, I guess. Yeah, I would class it. Uh, well, I don't know. It's like, like, what is an opera versus a exactly. musical? I feel like that's like a separate podcast topic. But right, I would say, yeah, I cannot divorce opera from a specific Welcome to high level casting. Today, we are discussing what is an opera. What, what is, is a musical? The, what is the grotesque thank, thank form you for in joining theater. us today? And I'm sorry to see you leave. <laughs> yeah, please, Rude. Please don't run away. I'll tell you what it is. It's chaos magic enacted on the world to atone for our sins. That is true. I want to make it very clear that while everyone says, oh, Cats is crazy, right? When this movie came out in 2019, everyone's like, Cats is fucking stupid. Why does anyone want to make this movie? Cats is crazy, but it has always been incredibly popular. And Mm. everyone will say it's like weird and, and wacky and stupid, but like... It's made over a billion dollars. In Japan, specifically, people, they they love cats in Japan. Uh, There is a theater constructed specifically to play cats. Um, Oh, shit. Just an aside, I live close to a small theater that does, like, they make their own shows. It's very impressive. But a lot of their shows just have an anthropomorphic cat character in there for no reason than to have like a cat for the kids. It's gotta, really weird. You got to lean into the furries. The they cultural weight of Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> exactly. the international cultural impact. He is a tastemaker. Exactly. Yeah. He, he is the Kanye West now. He knows, and I mean, he knows like, what's coming. That kind of makes sense. Like we'll stop beating this dead horse when it stops spitting out money. Sort of a dead cat. Right? Dead Absolutely. Cat. Let's talk about the poems for a little bit because they are cute. The poems themselves are just like, what, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats by T.S. Well, T.S. Eliot wrote them for his children or his grandkids or something. Yeah, like, they're specifically written for children and, and for his family members. Right, exactly. It's very, yeah, just kids' poems. They're like cute little poems. I think it's interesting. Let me bring up the Wikipedia article real quick because the, the introduction is hilarious. Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats is a collection of whimsical light poems by T.S. Eliot about feline psychology and sociology. Published by ah. Faber and Faber. Ah, of and course. So this, is a, this is a treatise on the, the tribal society of cats. Um, Lighthearted content for children, but yeah. also scientific and educational. I mean, that leads into the question that I have had both times I've watched this, and that is, what the fuck? 
is a jellical cat. <laughs> They tell you. They tell you, but they don't because they they just describe cats. Okay, when I was watching 98, I was so Jeremy and I were both watching cats at the same time, except I was watching 98 and he was watching 19. And we were like texting each other, and Jeremy was like, what is a jellical cat? What is a jellical cat? And I was like, shut up, shut up. They're telling me because there's this scene in the 98 cut where they stare mm-hmm. into the audience and they like accuse you of not knowing what a jellical cat is. But then yeah, right. they all they all sort of cluster together at the front of the stage and collectively like whisper. And I was like, <laughs> no. Like I they don't, don't want you to know. They don't want you to know. They like not- whisper quietly all of the things that a jellical cat is. Or they, I guess they're not whispering. They're just like talking collectively. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible mm-hmm. to discern what the words they are. And then the song sort of transitions off into something else, you know, inappropriately as cats as want to do. And I was like, oh, I still don't know. They literally were like, you don't know what a jellico cat is, you asshole. And then they told me and I still don't understand. So, you know, I don't, I think you're meant to not know. They Some of the lyrics are like, jellico cats are medium sized. Jellico cats are black and white. Jellico cats are small or large or purple or you know dance in the moonlight and it's like okay <laughs> one line is they are of moderate size yes. yes of moderate size hold on i want to quote really quick from the song jellical songs for jellical cats this will help us yeah can you ride on a broomstick to places far distant familiar with candle with book and with bell were you whittington's friend the pied piper's assistant have you been an alumnus of heaven or hell? Well, I want to make it clear. I, uh, so bell, book, and candle, right? Bell, book, and candle is a reference to the traditional form of excommunication for heretics in the Catholic Church, too. <laughs> Yay! So to be a jellical cat, you have to be an apostate, a warlock, and, uh, and consort with devils, <laughs> right? Sounds lit. I can relate. You, they're all familiars who have murdered their summoners and have gone to live on their own lives. Or their summoners have been murdered by so and so. They grew. No, I think them. I think they're murderous. I think the implication <laughs> yeah. is that like they're evil. <laughs> they're full of evil dark magic. Look, you're a high level. You're a high level caster, a wizard, maybe a sorcerer. You summon a cute cat because you want a companion, and the cat just takes a little too much power from the other side and. Consumes your life force. Thanks, and you're gone. Uh, so this is a sequel to The Witch, uh, actually. <laughs> you know, <laughs> both aesthetically and thematically. I mean, it also starts with Victoria being abandoned. So maybe that person wisened up. Yeah. Realized that life force is being stolen from her. So That's an her interesting moment. I they mean, tried to inject a plot into the movie, and it's yes, it's right. Because Victoria is one of those like nameless lore cats in the mm-hmm. in the stage production. She's not a main. She's notable because she looks. She's like white. She's wearing a white leotard. White, she looks yes. different. She has a couple of so, sort of solo dance numbers, but she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Her name is never mentioned. She's not like a lead character by any means. She's just like right. a notable looking ensemble. She's member. a yeah yeah exactly. She has some like shine moments in the, in the show, but she's not a main character, but because this is a movie, we have an idea. You cannot just have a musical review, right? right. <laughs> you need we to need have a, a fish plot. out of water. 
Like, yeah, so you need to, to explain to like what the fuck is going on. You need hero protagonists, and that is given to I want the full name Victoria, comma the White Cat. <laughs> We're moving on from kind of general theater history to my next bullet point on my notepad that just says why. Yeah. Marks. Why? Uh, and I think like first of all, it's money, and then second of all, it's like all right, we have to like you were saying, like we have to translate this into something where someone doesn't have an intermission and they do not have an explanation. And they're, and, and one of the things that Holly and I like kind of pointed out whenever we were watching this mm-hmm. in unison was that 2019 cats removes half of the reason why you're watching cats. You are right. there initially to go and see the live spectacle. That is the practical mm-hmm. effects and costumes and makeup. And you want to see them working. Yeah. You want to see folks like actually dancing. And so one of the interesting flaws and failures of this film that they were trying to get over, like this this problem that they foresaw from the very beginning, was that folks would not be able to interject them, mm-hmm. themselves into the story and that they wouldn't be able to be compelled into this world because of the mm-hmm. effort. Because CGI, despite the fact that CGI has, you know, hundreds of people working over time, uh, you know, forgetting the you know, fingers. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Blending hair into yep. people's faces. There is effort, but the medium implies a lack of effort because <laughs> yeah. if you notice CGI, that means it's done poorly. Mm-hmm. Or it and was right. boy, was it and done poorly in cast clipping. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what clipping is, is clipping takes you out of the suspension of disbelief. Clipping happens, you know, originally in like good old like 3D video games where your your objects right. just you phase sink through the through floor. Whole objects. Yep. And so you know that, that uh, works. the initial cut when I was rewatching Cats 2019, this was the cleaned mm. version. And I don't know if I saw the cleaned version. I was way too out of this world yeah. to notice before. Get that shit out um, of here. Get that shit out I want, of here. I want but, the real cats. The original version mm-hmm. definitely had its fair amount of clipping where people are just phasing through the floor, the human hands. It's not an uncanny valley. It's an uncanny canyon at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's the, and so, the, the maw. The maw, the uncanny you know. maw. <laughs> so seriously, why? Why? Uh, I mean, other than, other than to make money, I think there had been a trend of, musicals yes. turned movies in the past five years what comes to mind um hairspray uh, uh, that's older but for this and one then les mis les mis sure. was directed I enjoyed by the les mis movie version it's oh, it's okay yeah so les mis the 2012 movie was directed by tom hooper who also directed this movie so oh, this okay. is definitely in the tradition of the the big movie musical and mm-hmm. les mis made a lot of money. Greatest Showman is a, like what? That was twenty seventeen, I think. But Greatest Showman was was new, right? It was written it was new. for yeah. the screen, right? It was written, yeah, it's a original thing. But it was a major musical, very popular in Japan, and that was very, yeah, it was interesting. I've never seen it, but there is people like the movie musical, and they like the big dramatic spectacle, and there's always been like. Every few years, one or two come out. I guess my primary question is, who is this for? Because the the way that they've reconstructed um, the bu- <laughs> for you specifically, <laughs> for Ethan, 
the way that they've Good reconstructed question. the plot seems to imply that it's for people who who aren't already familiar with cats. It's mm-hmm. because that you know you've reconstructed it in such a way that it like has a plot now and like right. it has more action. So it seems that would make it seem like it's targeted more toward people who Every you know are were yeah who were maybe drawn in by Greatest Showman, drawn in by Les Mis, and we're like okay, like this might be fun. But I'm not a theater person by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I guess my, you know, my, if I were being super generous, I would be like, if in the mind of the movie exec, it would be like, well, we need to make a colossal amount of money from people who would otherwise not. And our target audience, I guess, as making movies is like people who aren't in the tax bracket of Broadway. Right, right. So (laughs) what can we make that has historically made colossal amounts of money that isn't Mm. already a movie that's been done in the last 20 years? And it's cats. The answer is cats. How can we reconstruct cats for an audience of people who isn't already familiar with the content? But I just, you know, that just doesn't seem like a very good reason. Yeah, I'm not sure. The answer here, I think, is in the release date. Like, think of all these big musical, like, movies Mm -hmm. and when they're released. They are released around November and December. Yeah, specifically, yeah, the winter season. Winter season, because you have nowhere to go and you are with your family. (laughs) Mom is taking you to see the fucking cat show. Mom is taking you to see cats. That's what's fucking happening and they know it. And so, I imagine that... The cat's target audience isn't just a blind, you know, I've never seen cats. Let's go and see cats. It's the one member of the family that's watched Cats 98 or has been to Broadway, went and saw Cats live during its 20-year run or however long it was going during the rise and fall of Reaganism. But then... It infected their brain, and they uh-huh. now want to take the rest of their family, children included, to the theater at a reasonable rate. And that's kind of because a big day for theaters is Christmas Day. Oh, and yeah. So, because nothing else is open um, in the US. And so, what do you do with your family when you have nothing to do and all the presents are open? You fucking go and see cats or something better. Um, so yeah. it's, you're saying, Jeremy, that the target audience of Cats 2019 is people with 80s, 90s media nostalgia and yes. all of the people who are trapped with them because of Christian hegemony capitalism. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. The only problem is they spent too much on Taylor Swift. He's the battlement of Scotland Yard, the flying squad's despair. Of crime, but cavities not there. Cats is a land of contrasts, and I want to start with the casting. This is a star-studded affair. Taylor Swift is in there, probably got paid a whole shitload of money to be there. To be on screen for like approximately five minutes. Yeah, she's there for not a leading role either, which was very surprising for me. When I heard she was But she does have one of the most iconic songs. I would yeah. say that, like, of the cat songs, it's like Memory, Macavity, mm-hmm. all the other shit. Like Fabulous Mr. Mistopheles. Fa- yeah, Mr. Mistopheles. <laughs> and then, like, the intro sounds. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have both actors, Idris Elba, Judy Dench, Ian McKellen. So, like, big name actors, Rebel Wilson. And then we also have Taylor Swift and Jason Derulo. We have, like, 
for like musicians, Jason right? Derulo. Artists. Jason Derulo doing a great thing. And, and then, then the some int- of that, like Victoria is played by like a ballerina, right? Exactly. Like an actual dancer. I'd say the three protagonists, we have Victoria the White Cat played by Francesca Hayward. This was her movie debut. She was a, she's a ballerina. The guy that plays Mistopheles, who I'd say is the romantic lead, I guess, of the movie, because they tried to shoehorn that in. Uh, Laurie Davidson, he is an English actor. I think he's more of a stage actor. And then, what is his? Monkistrup. Oh, God, I hate him so much. <laughs> Robbie Fairchild is an American Broadway dancer, Broadway actor. Is that the, so, like, the one with the face? Yeah, he's the, the one with the sexual the, assault. <laughs> he looks terrifying. No, sorry, absolutely. But... Like, you just notice the, these eyes that are just, like, panning across you. He's he's so creepy in this movie. And I, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to do... It's a specific musical thing where you're the, the major domo, the ringleader. He's showing you the, the magical world. And so he's trying to have eyes full of mystery and excitement, but it just comes off as, like, predation to, like, this bright-eyed innocent uh well so this is the thing and i think that you would agree then that like stage actors and screen actors develop and cultivate very different sets of skills that are useful in different venues so when you're a stage actor you perform knowing that there's like a fixed amount of space around you and your audience could be paying attention to any part of that space so you have to use your whole body in order to keep attention on yourself. And, you know, all of your gestures are sort of like larger and more cartoonish because on mm-hmm. the stage, they become very small. On the stage, yeah. under the lights, in an ensemble, they get lost. And so everything has to be, you know, bigger and more exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And screen actors are more used to, you know, having the camera do a lot of the focusing work for them. So they know that you're going to be looking at them all of their actions can be sort of small and concerted and subtle there is no subtlety in musical theater really absolutely not it just you just can't it's impossible so or i mean you can but it's it the way that you construct subtlety in a stage performance is through you know subverting unsubtle like exaggerated (laughs) uh actions when you have this sort of weird combo of trained professional stage performers pop stars old school performers and sort of like newer up and coming slapstick comedians. It just makes for this very strange mishmash of stage presence and like stage. Yeah, persona. I, I'd agree. <laughs> just like, you know, cause Jason Derulo is used to, you know, performing in an arena for hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of people. So his, performance style is designed specifically for that experience. And I don't know. It just, it's just so, I'm, maybe people thought that like, because the show is so chaotic that like it could work with such a weird range of different skills. You could be blinded by the visuals. Right? It's just too much. It's like my it's yeah. like sensory overload to have to keep up with all of these different people approaching the, the narrative in different ways. It's, that's a really good point. To pan from someone giving their best to them unzipping their skin, them consuming <laughs> live human cockroach like, within a 30-second span. Okay, so the cockroach scene specifically, 
is very different across the stage production and the film production. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I think that that's a quintessential example of this Dissonance, thing that we're talking yeah. about is that in the stage production, first of all, everybody is the same size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. the premise is that the cats put on costumes made out of like cat sized trash or like shoe boxes or whatever mm-hmm. to dress up as cockroaches. And then they all, while they're singing the, Jenny Annie Dot's song, there's a tap number, but it's it's clearly like cats dressed up as cockroaches, like doing some kind of vaudeville performance together. And it's so mm-hmm. they're like they're clearly telling a story and using themselves as props to communicate the story. There is no slapstick component. There is no like, you know, contemporary gross-out humor. It's just a very classically vaudeville experience. Yeah. That's that's sort of made absurd by the fact that all of the primary characters are cats. And then in the 2019 movie, you have, you know, Rebel Wilson doing a lot of physical comedy, you know, like uh-huh. eating the cockroaches and like the CGI makes it possible for there to be this very physical comedy style. So this is the thing is it's like still a tap number, but it's like a tap number plus CGI plus slapstick comedy plus like Rebel Wilson making fourth wall breaking aside jokes which is just, it's, again, it's too much. It's like, (laughs) it's too many different, you know, because they hired Rebel Wilson because she's a comedian. She's like a big personality slapstick comedian. And that's what she does. But then they're like, well, we also have to retain sort of the original sense of the scene, which is the tap Mm -hmm. number. And because we're paying all this money for CGI, then like, screw the cats dressing up as cockroaches. We'll just have CGI cockroaches. cockroaches. We've got mice, we've got cockroaches, you know, we've got giant milk bar. We can do anything with the magic of computers. But really, you know, that's not what we want when we see cats. We don't (laughs) want you to do anything and everything. We want you to do specifically the thing that is cats. I would argue, I haven't seen like the the stage production of cats, but... Mm-hmm. You don't, I would assume that you do not get the issue that 2019 Cats has where you've cast these major stars, right, that are compelled to insert their personality, how they sell themselves into the role. Whereas in a stage production, you just have the, these actors and actresses just being their character and, you know, shedding themselves and becoming this new character. Whereas... Mm-hmm you are now having to see James Corden be James Corden right now, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the problem, I guess, is that having a star-studded cast is the opposite of having an ensemble. The point of an ensemble right. is that everyone is a unified body and you all, there is no individuality in the sense that like every character has their own personality, but you all exist purely to promote the story. And so you have to act in unity. You have to all have personalities that are only as standout as the plot or the story requires. And so when you hire a bunch of professionals purely for name recognition, just to draw in an audience just on, you know, oh, this has Taylor Swift in it, so I have to go see it, then all those people are compelled to put their stamp on it because that's what they were hired to do. They were, you know, right. Rebel Wilson was hired to be Rebel Wilson. Jason Derulo was hired to be Jason Derulo. So they're not there to be part of an ensemble. They're not there to tell a story. They're there to make a cameo because that's what they were paid for. Mm-hmm. And that sort of tears apart the theatrical component of Cats, which is that 
you know, in order to be drawn into the magic, in order to like suspend your disbelief and be like, yeah, totally a tribe of magical devil cats who are all going to throw a big party so that someone can go to cat heaven sounds great. You have to not be pulled out by anything. Everything has right. to be airtight. Right. And when you're watching Cats 2019, even the minute that you start to be like, okay, yes, like maybe this is a plausible story that I can go along with. You're like, Ooh, there's Judy Dench. Like there's, you know, you experience suspension whiplash. Like, right. Exactly. It's like too many layers of culture. It's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm suspended. I'm, I'm really committed to this narrative, which was designed, you know, with this really ostentatious sort of eighties, mindset and also Jason Derulo is here and also Idris Elba is here and also there's like this whole new plot point and it's like I don't know it's like you can't really immerse yourself because it's there's too many things going on and you're like on the lookout for like which cats are wearing shoes yeah yeah I need to see the cat shoes guys (laughs) uh I think it can work right Les Mis is also a star-studded cat but of course led by the king Hugh Jackman who was who was a song and dance man, uh, then Wolverine. He, he's best of both worlds, right? We don't have a Hugh Jackman in this movie, thankfully. I kind of unapologetically man said love no. him. So. Oh, I, I no, I adore him. Um, I love him in Oklahoma. I love him in X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> I love him in Les Mis. Like, he's great. I mean, I guess uh, Judy Dench and Ian McKellen are both, like, stage oh, yeah. veterans. They, they sure. get it. Like, but they also, like... Them, they get it. In this movie, both of their present, they're weird. Like, Yeah, I, and they also have weird sexual tension like between the two of them, which is yeah. very unpleasant to watch. And it's like, that also derails you because you're like, why are they, why are Judy Dench and Ian McKellen like making eyes at each other? Like, it makes me so uncomfortable. Why? I just think of like the last third of this movie, maybe like the last dragging conclusion of this movie where you just get a lot of <laughs> super close-ups of Judy Dench's like tired. Yes blank face and she'll just like sing a couple words and it's just that like you have this full visual cavalcade of nightmares and then like cut to judy dench just just oh. that i know what you're like, talking about and yeah I, yeah i remember that trapped is that really strongly like presented in my mind when judy dench's character was old deuteronomy was just just telling you more about jellical cats you've heard of several kinds of cats and my opinion now is that you should need no interpreter to understand our character well yeah she's the high prophet not even high prophet she is like the will of god she gets to choose he's moses yeah who ascends or who who stays here in this hell that we've created for ourselves yeah that's all a great point so to bring things away from this, you know, theatrical, theoretical, rather than go through Boo, every Jeremy. single... Fuck We're, here for, about, the We're here for the theater. We're here for the discourse. We the talked discourse. about theater. I'm sorry. We're, let's talk about chaos magic. Yeah. And, and I just want to start by chaos magic, but, but, but let's, let's insert a, a little bit of ourselves into this narrative. Tell me uh, what your, who your favorite cat is. Ooh, okay, yeah, I wanted to ask this. I, I don't want someone else go first. You go first, Jeremy. Tell me. Ah, uh, god damn it. Flip the script. I, I want to say this name right. I've already had like three beers because of this fucking movie. <laughs> My favorite remember. character is uh, Bomblerina's Heels. 
Blurine at what? So Taylor Jeremy, is Swift, this like a foot fetish joke? No, but <laughs> I want to point out oh, okay, Taylor okay. Swift's cat character, Bumblerina, like she's the one that wears heels during like, yeah. it you know it's heels but no clothes. Heels and heels, a collar. Yeah, no, no but clothes. she naked and then and then Idris <laughs> yeah. McCavity. And you can see her face her on that body. In nudity. Yeah. But but if I'm gonna give a real answer, um for me, rum comes hugger. <laughs> Jason Derulo. He's a curious cat, man. He's a curious cat. He pulled me. The thing is, is like in a movie, Suspension of Disbelief, I always get super angry at people whenever you're like watching a movie that you enjoy with somebody and they they broach that suspension or they're like, now why would they do that? Right? Uh You're just like, fuck you. Like... (laughs) Just stop. Hold on. And let's enjoy to be that. fair, to right. be fair, I, I, I don't want to derail, but I was asking while watching this movie with my brother next to me and just people in front of me, I was verbally asking why. <laughs> why no, did they do this? This is this is welcome in this in this. Yeah, this different sort of why. Endeavor. It's a different sort right. of why. It's different as like if you're showing lethal weapon to a friend and they're just right. like, why is oh yeah so sad? And you're just like, just mm-hmm. watch the movie. And so. My honest answer is uh, Rum Tum Tugger because he pulled okay. me out. I feel like of the of the experience, and uh-huh. he was. I really enjoyed his performance, and I really enjoyed that personality okay. where he's just like, I just want to party and fuck. Like, yeah, that's or, that's or, me. Very Super shallow. Symbolically, like selects Victoria at the end of the song, and all the yes. other like this is the horniest song in the whole fucking show, right? Absolutely, and. We'll get into my favorite cat in a second, but yeah, he he picks her up and is like, "No, I'm done. Bye bye." Yeah, gracious. I feel like not to be spicy, but like I feel like it's worth noting that Rum Tum Tugger is like one of the only explicitly black coded characters in Cats. Yeah, no, like it's that's very, really it's it's very explicit, especially yeah. in the stage yeah. production. It's like. He is his care. His whole character design is very Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm, yes. Like who's the who's the guy who like jumps up on his piano? Little Richard. No. Little Richard. The the like pompadour Jerry curl yeah. and a lot of the like pelvic thrusting and like the, it's the like- soul man the soul man style. Can I piggyback on that? I wanted to talk about this with Francesca Hayward. Right, the main character. So Francesca Hayward is. She's biracial. She's Kenyan and English. And I didn't notice this in any of the film discourse when it came out, right? Like, she is a black woman that is, in the movie, she's Victoria the White Cat and is, like, literally whitewashed. She's in whiteface, yeah. Yeah, she's in, she's complete, like, literally whitewashed. And no one even talked about that, which is very interesting to me because that's I something think I think would be CGI very salient. Years, you know, just kind of that's it, yeah. I also want to talk for a second about Jennifer Hudson because we haven't mentioned her yet. And she was, you know, a person who was hired for star power. She's an excellent singer and they did her dirty and it's not fair. She is. She's kind of evil in this movie, right? Like, Well, and she, you know, I feel like this is one of the things that I noticed as I was watching the 98 version of Cats. What character was she? She She's Grizabella. She sings Memory. Um, she's the, you know, the disgraced, the disgraced beauty queen cat. And, you know, memory is an iconic song. It's it's one of the, whenever that those beats started to hit, 
I don't remember watching the stage play of Cats because I didn't see it, but I do remember seeing ads for it and that part being played in those ads. So I subliminally knew that this was a high point and I never really reached that high point for her in this film. Well, that's one of the things that I noticed while I was watching the 98 version of Cats is that you know, obviously it's hard to feel any kind of emotional attachment to this narrative because it's bonkers. It's banana cakes. But (laughs) Grizabella comes in a couple of times and it's like made very apparent that she's a pariah. Nobody likes her because she's gross and old and dirty, I guess. (laughs) It's not clear. But towards the end of of the movie, you know, she comes out and it's just her on the stage, which is, this is another important sort of theater not to be like theater theory again, but like to have a whole ensemble that's on the stage almost 100% of the time and then to have them all leave and have one person stand alone on a stage that has up until this moment been extremely crowded is a really powerful moment. It's just the, the way that the space changes when it's suddenly empty is it creates an entire ambiance that's just not possible in the movie. So Grisabella comes out and she does a little sort of dance number where you can see that she's trying to like show you all the things that she used to do when she was young and beautiful and people loved her and she does all this sort of like Vanna White and you know can can like dancing around and towards the end of it she's just like yeah I know I get it it's like it doesn't look the same anymore because I'm crusty now and I'm sorry like I can't I can't help it like this is just where I am and then she sings memory and there have been you know memory has been sort of popped in and out beforehand but this is really sort of the swelling crescendo of of this moment and I was watching this part and I just I felt like genuine sadness I I almost cried I've like felt genuine emotional connection to this song which is ridiculous this is a movie about cats (laughs) who are all singing their own names and waiting to die like it's totally unacceptable that I was that why this musical worked for as long as it did because exactly this note in you there is there is emotion in that song and it's you know overplayed it's overpopularized everybody knows it it's like mm-hmm. you know every 16 year old's favorite audition song or whatever because it's like so mopey and pathetic but in this moment when it's cultivated by this character with such power it does actually make you want to cry it's like a very emotional moment and Jennifer Hudson was never given the chance to really cultivate that moment in a way that felt honest. And also they kept CGI editing snot running out of her nose. Yeah. Which totally ruins the song. Like she uh-huh. doesn't, she doesn't have to be covered in bodily fluids in order for you to know that she's crusty and old and ready to die. Like right. just let her sing the damn thing. Like you hired her because she's a beautiful singer, not so that you could like CGI boogers <laughs> dribbling into her <laughs> mouth don't yeah. do that i was so upset i was like the, this the is, shaking and quivering this is yeah it's just too much really hit, like an art note and you just fucking like blow uh-huh. yeah I, it, they uh, really production. fucked it up i want to piggyback so like you talk about that true moment of emotional pathos being in this frame and so jeremy you would be familiar with this in pro wrestling Yes! Oh yeah, my god. Right? Yes. So pro wrestling and musicals are wrestling. the same thing. They are. Like, they are. Pro wrestling is fucking stupid. Uh you have to lie to yourself to take it seriously at all. But when you get in that moment, like the emotional moment, right. like you believe it. You sincerely. believe it. You are part of that moment. And that's the thing about wrestling is you share the moment with the performers. And the yeah, boundary especially, between you 
and the ring, or you and the stage dissolves, and you are. I I literally wrote a master's thesis on this that moment. <laughs> so, and now we're here with cats. So it's the same thing. This um, intersection of pro wrestling and musical theater is not what I was expecting to come out of this conversation, and I'm thrilled that it happened. It's his, historically they're the same thing. Kind well, of. I think yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think it's you very kind of discuss this uh, briefly in your thesis, Ethan. Like, mm-hmm. I was already kind of thinking about how Cats is absurd. It is spectacle. It uh-huh. is look at what we can do, and look at what we can make you believe. And that is the only difference between that and pro wrestling is class. It's, it's class and gender coding too, yes. or like Absolutely. certain social capital coding. Uh, and I think a lot of it is gendered. But yeah, no, it's the same sort of spectacle. So Ethan, um, who is your favorite cat? Thank you. I was going to bring it up. So hey. I, I, I want to say Mr. Mistopheles is my favorite cat. And let's break it down. You have seen it one moment. And then it is gone. But you find it next week, lying out on the lawn. And we all say, Oh, well, I never was there ever. A cat so clever as magical Mr. Mistopheles. First of all, his name. He is a reference to Faust and the Faustian bargain that you engage with when watching this movie. Um, he's close. Can you elaborate on that? What is yeah, the Faustian right? bargain? So, so right. So Mephistopheles, Mephistopheles is the name of like historically from old books of demonology. Mephistopheles like we is all a, have read and know. Yeah. He's a prime devil from hell that his job is to make bargains with humans. Uh, And so, right, Faustus, Faust is about a man who seeks knowledge from Mephistopheles for a price, right? Um, Oh, I did not not, know that. I would say it's not brought up at all in the musical and they just call him Mr. Mephistopheles, but he is the magician. He's a sorcerer. And his lyrics, uh, you look at Jellicle songs for Jellicle cats, there's like references to witchcraft and sorcery that I didn't realize until like, just now and this is when i watch it again because i watch it every day you know <laughs> I, I need to think about that but okay so mistopheles in the stage production and mistopheles on the movie are two completely different characters and i wanted to talk about that first in the stage production cats is an incredibly difficult musical to perform especially when it comes to dancing it's a very technically demanding dance performance and Mr. Mistopheles is generally regarded as like the most technical dancing of all. He really only is important in his song, his Mr. Mistopheles song. And it's like really funny in that, right, McCavity makes uh, Deuteronomy go away. And then they're like, oh no, what do we do? Let's call Mr. Mistopheles. And in 30 seconds, he fixes the problem. And like the whole song is about how great and cool and awesome he is. And he is buying it. He's like, yes, I'm the greatest sorcerer that ever lived. I'll bow before my power. And he's dancing it up like crazy. In the movie, he's Gabe from The Office. He is, he's the, he's the everman, right? He's the nevish nerd who's incompetent. He's scared all the time. They put a romance plot in this because you got to have, you got you gotta have the not gays exactly even in cats even in musical theater you have to have that heteronormative coding and so victoria needs a man 
specifically in and this stuck out to me the first time I watched the movie in the Rum Tum Tugger song. Victoria is fascinated by Jason Derulo's Rum Tum Tugger, like all the ladies. And uh, they give the line, the Rum Tum Tugger is a curious bore to Mistopheles as he's like angrily watching Jason Derulo strut. It's like the, it's alpha mindset, beta mindset shit. And it's like, that's when you realize, oh, he's attracted to her. And he looks like Gabe from The Office and he acts like him, like the socially awkward dude that finally is able to cast magic and save the day. And, and he gets the lady. He's like the game. boring friend zoned nerd. Yeah, yeah. No, he's the nice guy. Capital N. Yeah, I like him because I like, you know, he, he, is, he is the liminal cat. In many ways, he's the link between the, the demon world and the cat world. And he's the link between the two different reproductions of this show. Do you have a least favorite cat? I don't, what, what cat do you hate, Holly? Oh, so many. No, that's not true. Bust, I actually, Bustopher Jones. Jones. Yeah, I mean, I think that the way that Bustopher Jones is portrayed is like sort of different across the two movies. In Cats mm-hmm. 2019, like Bustopher Jones is just like a big fat joke. And yeah, in 98, it's like there are like jokes about him being fat but like that's not sort of the core of his presence so I think that was like frustrating to me I think that okay so yeah I would say that like Buster for Jones is my least favorite character in Cats 2019 my least favorite character in Cats 98 is not present in Cats 2019 because this is one of the parts that they cut there is during the Jellicle Ball where they're all assembled under the Jellicle Moon uh-huh. Uh, as you may remember. <laughs> the witching um, hour, yeah. The witching hour, yes. There is a component where they essentially do like a tableau or like a they do a retelling of a historical event that has to do with dogs. Yeah, the dog and cat war. Okay. Yes, there's a, yeah. so there's yeah, a, the, a the retelling performance of the Whoa. dog war. What? Yes, and they <laughs> cut this out of the movie because it is you know it's fucking weird it it also has no context like there's it has no relevance to anything else that happens it's just like they all get together and one of the things that you do at a gathering is it's like i don't know it's like a christmas play they're just like now it's time for the traditional retelling of the dog war and you do a little show a little dinner theater jeremy um, except there's no eating there's just the dog war so there's boy syndrome just <laughs> the monkey strap character the narrator sort of is essentially narrating and all this is another one of those dress-up moments where the ensemble cats like dress up as dogs Mm -hmm. so there's like some of them wearing like boxes on their heads or whatever so the premise of the this narrative about the dog war as monkey strap narrates is that there is a fight going on among all the neighborhood dogs the different breeds of dogs are fighting there's like a police dog who's like off the beat and therefore unable to disassemble this war of dogs and this cat called the Rumpus Cat, who is a legend, a cat legend among, among the, um, the Jellicle Cats, comes and he doesn't even really have to do anything. He's like so intimidating and ferocious that all the dogs are immediately terrified and they flee and the war is over. And then the cop dog comes back and like, it's like nothing happened. So in the stage production, the Rumpus Cat, it has no lines. He just, he's, I think maybe like a, a costume change from another ensemble member. And he comes out onto the stage and he's wearing these giant red flashing goggles that make him look like a bug. They're just huge. And he's wearing a gray, like a Batman style leotard that has like 
abs spray painted onto it and like a big R like team rocket to show that he's the right. roughest cat. Excellent. So he's like this, he's like a cat's costume version of like a superhero. He's like cat right. Batman, Catman, And he comes out for like, He's got a whole song about him. He comes out for like 30 seconds. He looks fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and then they transition away into something totally unrelated. And that I think was my least favorite moment of Cats because I had hit the point in Cats 98 where I was like, please, when will this be over? Please, Jesus, free me from this experience. And the response that Cats 98 gave to me was, <laughs> no, you will not be free You're from this here. experience. Instead, you will have to watch this cat superhero narrative that is totally unrelated to anything else in the plot and will never appear again. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish I had seen that now. You have, you can, it. it's on YouTube. Okay. On YouTube. And, and you reminded me of my actual least favorite cat. And we talked about it a little bit, but monk is in the movie. Cre- like I was angry at him because he gave that vibe of like, yeah, that's the guy at the bar you should be careful of. Like, you need to talk to the bartender or like the bouncer about him. Like, throughout the entire movie, and I don't know what acting choice he was making or if it had to do with the CGI, but he just has this look of creepiness and predation and untrustworthiness through the entire thing. And it's especially prevalent at the the very first song where Victoria is thrown into the streets. She's alone. And she's welcomed into the Jellicle tribe with like the Jellicle cat song. But actually it's more like they're threatening her. Yeah. They're like, look at what we can do. And like the emotional vibe of that song is one of like, you don't belong here and we're scaring you. And he adds to that, but he's always like, Oh, come along, come along. But then he scares her again. And then he does, he keeps doing the scary stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you grooming this cat? I hate him. I hate him so much, and it's very spooky. Jeremy, do you have a least favorite cat? Oh, God. I think... Now you have to remember their names. <laughs> Name as many cats <laughs> as you can remember the names of. Oh, no. You I can't, can't say McCavity. McCavity oh, is the king. I'm sorry. He's weird in the movie. Uh, uh... He has the big weird moment of total nudity where... <laughs> Though all yes. the cats are nude, he wears yes. a trench coat, but then he strips it off, and you get that shock of like, oh my god, I'm seeing He's a flasher. Body. Yeah. He's it's a criminal so... and he's a flasher. I'm kind of Which amazed. I guess that is they also do a crime. That. <laughs> yeah. I think my least favorite cat, I have to choose one that hasn't been mentioned at this point. You know, suspect face cat has been taken. <laughs> but you can agree. I, he's terrible. I'm gonna say old Deuteronomy in Cats 2019. Huh. Specifically in Cats 2019, because I was jealous because I wanted the Cats 98 version of Old Deuteronomy. Oh, of like, yeah, this like because Holly was just this like wonderful, like warm sun face of an actor, whoever that graybeard wizard, wonderful soul. Oh my god, he's truly delightful to look at. Just excellent to gaze upon i'm looking this, up this king yeah right yeah yeah look his face up bro. oh man yeah he's beautiful he's beautiful like, he's just so reassuring you're he's, like he's earned it yeah you're being like, dragged through like the chaos of watching cats and then you see his face on the screen and you're like everything's gonna be fine i see okay. why people like you like i see why you're still alive mm-hmm. and apparently you're like such a fucking creative legend. cat that like <laughs> true you're a legend because you have you know propagated 
all of these terrible creatures around me that I am forced <laughs> to interact with. He gets with. to choose which one dies. Like, yeah. he kills one and sends it away. All I could think of, and again, when I was watching this movie yesterday, totally sober, I just wanted Judy Dench to stop at the very end of the film. <laughs> this is supposed to be, you know, the maternal, paternal figure of this community. Yeah, Judy Dench's performance, especially at the end, is very tired. Yes. They did that, that thing that, like, Hollywood loves to do where they're like, it would be revolutionary if we took this male role and made it a lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, dude, it's, like, not. I don't know. For, and I understand, like, the impetus behind that. And it's like, right. ooh, it's so subversive for us to make Old Deuteronomy a girl. Yeah. Or, like, to make Old Deuteronomy Judy Dench. And it's like, I don't know. It just didn't really... I think that they, that it would have been fine, except she seemed so like weirdly sexualized in Mm -hmm. a way that I was like, you wouldn't have done this if old Deuteronomy was a man. Like you can't, and you know, there's, there's all these tropes and it's like, I guess the tropes are like crusty old crone or like sort of big, like mama bear, wide bosom Mm -hmm. mother figure, or like old cougar, and for some reason they went with the cougar vibe for Judy Dench. Judy Dench, yes. And it just people. didn't. It's sort yeah. of. I understand that she's supposed to be the matriarch, but like it just didn't give me that vibe in the way that in the '98 cut, the way that everyone interacted with the old Deuteronomy character was clearly like, "You are our dad. You're like our spiritual and our literal dad, and we all revere you, but have like a close familial relationship with you." And this Judy Dench character was very like, we all revere you. And also you're like sort of our, everyone's like weird, cool mom. Right. It's like a little too old to be doing that. You know, as long as you're, you're doing that, you can do it in my house. I'd rather you do it here <laughs> than, you know, out there. That was, yeah, maybe that's like an unfair, I didn't rewatch Cats 2019 for this. So maybe that's like an unfair yeah. characterization of her character. The one thing that, I actually appreciate about this movie. I don't think it was the intention of the production, but I felt a lot of emotions while watching this movie. And one of them was like the unsettling revulsion and like fear that you would feel in a horror movie. And let me explain. We start off in a nightmare world. It's, it's the human environment, but it's for cats. Uh, the lighting's all weird. Things are big because cats are small, but then the size changes and we have no idea the size reference, how big these cats are supposed to be. Are they human sized? Are they tiny? Doesn't matter. I think the CG fuck ups add to this, the clipping and the molding, like give you this sense as you're watching the movie of what am I watching? Like, what is this world I'm presented with? It is a nightmare world and it doesn't fit the physical rules of like the world we understand so that's that's point one point two one interesting thing about the movie compared to the stage show the stage show has a very specific and iconic aesthetic to it especially the costumes have that sort of glam rock david bowie kiss style but they're still like cats but they're like humans And this, they're like, no, we're going to make them look like cats. We're going to CG them into cat people, except when we mess it up. And also the way they act. So, like, they don't interact with people like... The the cats don't interact with each other the way people 
interact with each other. And that creates this weird, uncanny valley thing. Um, and I, I encourage you after this is done to watch the first song again and put yourself in the perspective of Victoria the White Cat and ask, like, do I feel welcome in this community? For waiting up there is the heavy side layer full of wonders one Jellicle only will see. And Jellicles ask, because Jellicles dare, who will it be? Because no, cats are fucking weird. <laughs> to quote Red Letter Media, cats are fucking weird. And the entire time, the cats are like cruel to each other. Even when they're friends, they're like treating each other with suspicion and distrust and like anger. And when they're actually angry, like when they're angry towards Grizabella, you get the feeling like, oh yeah, they could like kill kill her if they wanted to. <laughs> they're always hissing at each other the way they... Mistopheles and Victoria don't kiss. They do the the neck. It, it's very discordant. And so, like, the first song I'm watching this, I'm like, this is making me uncomfortable. And then we brought up already the iconic Jenny Anydot song, where, you know, first it's just, like, weird slapstick, but then they establish that the mice and the cockroaches are also sapient. And then she eats one alive. And we realize that these cats have no sense of the morality of human beings and that the filmmakers just did it as a joke. They're like, oh yeah, she just casually eats another sapient thing alive. One of her slaves. My brain broke and I just started laughing uncontrollably. But it wasn't like a, a ha-ha laugh. It was a what am I watching laugh. And then she takes off her skin. And then she tears her skin off and it just gets worse and worse. Yeah. And so that's like... We're in the mall, right? Like the mouth of madness is open. I'm seeing the third eye of, of the jellical being and it's it's terrifying. And then when they first get to the warehouse and they have the, the jellical moon is upon us and they do the dance, a prolonged, this is like the act break, I think, in the original musical, like the prolonged dance without singing or anything. And that is, for some reason, that is very unsettling to me. The music and the dancing is very like, it's very like, well, it's like a ceremony. It's like, yeah. it's like some kind of ritual. Exactly. And the music adds to that. Like the music is a little discordant and weird. I and think, I, I guess I would argue that it is a ritual. They're like once a year on this occasion, we all get together and like have a celebration specifically that's related to ritual sacrifice. And so we do our like ritual jellicle dance and then someone is killed to appease yeah. <laughs> like our understanding the of gods. the afterworld. Very much midsummer vibes. Like yeah, with it's your there. man. All of and I was there. I was also feeling, I don't know if you guys probably haven't seen the remake of Suspiria, but it's about a coven of witches who live in a dance studio. And like the contemporary dance that they do is central to their ritual performances. And so that was like fresh in my mind as I'm watching these cats dance. I'm like, oh God. This is just Suspiria. There are like significant horror aspects here. I don't know if they're intentional, but more and more they're my favorite part of the movie and why I can actually like love this movie and not I, ironically. We joke, but the theme of, you know, being horny for death, right? Like being like so excited that they're arguing over which can volunteer for this ritual because. In the film, you kind of see 
the one cat that is chosen and lifted into the uh, sky with a chandelier balloon, like disappear mm-hmm. and kind of glow. So you have that, like the movie magic of, yes, it was real all the time, but like <laughs> they don't see that. And I mean, that's kind of given to us as kind of, you know, justification for their beliefs, but like, Ultimately, at the end of the day, they all argued over who was going to get into a balloon and float into the sky and, mm-hmm. and die ritualistically. They all actively sought it. That is, yes. for, if we want to look at the Jellicle tribe as like a culture, like they're, the, the key thing they seek is a ritual death. Yeah. In the present for the community. I mean, we've watched a fair number of cult films recently, Ethan. And, uh, you know, oh. Cats is ultimately a cult film. It's a cult. Yeah, we talk about how they're like, oh, the whole, all of Cats is just cats introducing themselves. But really, they're like advertising themselves they're as to why the they are eligible to receive ritual rebirth. Like what right. they have done in their lives to achieve the the glory of knowing happiness. There is all, There is also this like weirdly philosophic number where they're like mm-hmm. the meaning of happiness is not like what you perceive to be happiness but rather it's an amalgamation of many lifetimes worth of understanding which is feels out of place in a movie that's otherwise Amazing. like that's, yeah which is i'm um, a cat who works on a train which is all about <laughs> you know pirate. yeah exactly which is all about uh, receiving and experiencing hedonistic pleasures right like it's almost counterculture to what these cats are raised to experience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that achieving pure hedonism is what qualifies you to go to the heaviside layer. It's like when you know right. true joy, then you're ready to die. You can have that, that final moment of, yeah, absolute pleasure before, before you're offered to it. And that's uh, why it's like so, such an inversion that old Deuteronomy lets Grizabella go because mm-hmm. like of all of the cats that have advertised themselves to be ritually murdered, she is the least qualified because she's a pariah who's not good at anything anymore and feels only sadness. But, but that said, she, she experienced a peak, you know, like she was the pinnacle of their hedonistic culture. And speaking of hedonistic cultures, I feel like this is a great way to transition to the 90s, uh, the 80s and 90s of American mm-hmm. culture, and how this kind of entered the zeitgeist of American musical media. But the fact that it, it crossed the boundaries from this very niche uh, stage production musical culture to uh, me as a child seeing it on infomercials on a near daily basis on Nickelodeon, right? Right. Uh, in these advertisements, like it was, it was crossing these cultural boundaries into uh, trying to catch as many folks as they could. And Ethan, you and I have talked about how the nineties are the, the pinnacle of history, the, the, <laughs> the, of, end, the end of man, yes, the, the, end of I'm man. Sorry, the end of history and the last man. The Roaring Twenties, but guess what? It wasn't in the 2020s. It was the 90s. There are no enemies. It's the end of history. All of that. I feel like Cats happened because of that. We are, we are trying to, uh, as a society, further and further experience this sort of spectacle, the, this sort of visual aesthetic fulfillment. Where like, please give me more and more of these costumes. Please give me more and more of your backflips and your dances 
and I want to experience that for near three hours, and I want you to trap me in this room, right? Where Jeremy, are I'll- you arguing that the 90s are like peak hedonism? Yes. Oh, absolutely. To some um, extent, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the 90s were peak hed- hedonism for, for a very specific group of Americans, right? A very specific group of oblivious Americans. There is this moment in that decade where there is no external existential doom or dread being experienced. So the only force that we have at this point is our own unguided, pleasure-seeking sensory, you know, like in order for me to justify my existence, I have to experience. And the only way that I can experience is by seeing this movie or this stage play where humans get hair glued to their bodies and they tell me what it's like to be an anthropomorphic cat. And I think this kind of evolved. And it's interesting that cats very much disappeared during the Iraq War era of America. <laughs> I, I, I see you laughing. I think but, it was still on Broadway. I do want to make a point. I think it was still Jerry, on Broadway. This is like watching someone like putting the push pins in the cork board and like tying the thread between them. Whoa. And it's okay. here's the Let, thing though, is that's what that's what anthropology and culture like like but, studies are. Like it, it is you're seeing boundaries like being pushed upon. And I think that cats and this sort of the the need for spectacle gets put forth when you have no other thing to kind of experience like horror as an aesthetic drops in this decade uh there is no worry for these these dominant cultures but you have this sort of need to to experience this sensory experience that i am open to but still fits my mode of perception, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to experience things that make me uncomfortable, that sort of open me up to different actual cultures in life. So I need to have these other fable culture thrust upon me. But I just want more weird white people shit. Yes. Honestly, yes. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, then go off. So what else was also very popular in the mid to late 90s? Tamagotchis. Tamagotchi. Buffy? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Attitude Era. That was the, well, there are many gold. That was like the second golden age of wrestling, right? Right. You have the, the, the weird indulgence of the 80s. 80s, we have like the bombastic, colorful, wacky wrestling of Macho Man, Hulk Hogan. Right. That's also where we have cats. That's also where we have Phantom of the Opera, these other bombastic, colorful, spectacular media forms. That was a big thing in the 80s. In the 90s, we start to see a push towards more realism and the, the, the gritty aspects of it. Gritty realism, yeah. Though, I don't know if we'd say Cats also matched that, right? The 98 Cats production was pretty much... I would say that the, the Attitude Era of, of American wrestling was American culture creating their own their own front line of conflict that they were oh yeah absolutely were not experiencing whereas cats was sort of creating their own pleasure center to be mm-hmm. to be honest their own so, he, their own hedonism like how do you experience ex- escapism in a world where there there is nothing to escape right 
internet the world the, the, the internet. information superhighway but the point that i'm trying to make is you see sort of this disappearance of this escapism because mm-hmm. we are drawn back into reality and fear of the post 9-11 world and yes we're talking about 9-11 in a in a podcast about cats but i think it's really important because you start seeing you see this movie resurface right in 2019 where there it's not so much about a, a need of escapism as nostalgia right like everybody's trying to go back at this point to the 90s uh, mm-hmm. 2019 is waist deep in the trump era and we are trying to go back to this era where nothing is really wrong but we're trying to experience this economic boom this 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 cultural boom michael jordan is peak lion king all of these all of these nostalgic like boxes are being ticked Mm -hmm. um we want to stop being worried about the the impending doom of the climate apocalypse so how do you do that you during the holidays you experience the british uh cats experience because that's that's ultimately the setting. The BCE. Well, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Sorry for me to go off, but I, okay. I do I do think there's something there when it comes to the '90s and comes to now. Well, if you look at musicals more generally, I think like the guiding theme of most musicals and especially popular musicals, Wicked, Hamilton. Lots of musicals, the core idea is I want more. It's an idea of a protagonist desiring something and then through their own talents and relationships achieving something, which I guess you could say is all media. And like there is a cliche of the I want song, which in a lot of musicals, I think Beauty and the Beast starts with an I want song where Belle is saying, I hate this, even though I have a pretty comfy life, but I want adventure. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, Disney does it the best. Cats is an I want thing, though they're horny for death, right? I want to go to the heavy side layer. It's not quite as much a traditional, like, protagonist-driven journey for transformation, but it's there. You can also look at theater as a labor form. If we actually we want to look into a Marxist analysis, right? Theater, well, you and know I, I, I do, baby. I joked about this earlier, but like musical theater is a bourgeois art form. Most people cannot access it regularly. Um, people have look at Hamilton. Hamilton tickets are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You know, you had to sign up for a raffle or something to get a ticket. Like you can't just go see Hamilton. You even if you pay hundreds of dollars, you had to be on a list and wait six months to a year to just get in there. A lot of musicals are seen as being very like liberal or progressive stories. They're pushing the envelope. They're being brave. They're being uh, adventurous and daring. But at the end of the day, they are finished theater, right? They are things that are ideologically acceptable to the middle class. To There's nothing that actually challenges or subverts the late capitalist ideological narrative of our society. And in fact, they sort of replicate it. They reproduce it, right? Hamilton got where he was because he's a self-starter. He's a small businessman. He's an entrepreneur. He knows what's up, right? Through his wit alone, he was able to claw his way to the top. And that's he's a maverick. Bad. He's a mat loose cannon who doesn't play by the rules, and then he gets shot. Bye-bye. Um, but ultimately, that's what we see reproduced here. 
But as a labor form, also, people in the, like theater is a very precarious career to be in, right? Like most people cannot just be actors uh, unless they're already rich. They have somebody sponsoring them. You know, they're being subsidized. And maybe that's not your only job, right? And so, especially now, theater as an art form is being like existentially challenged by the post-viral system. We have something like Cats, where even if you're on the Broadway show, right, you're probably struggling. You probably live in a part in an apartment with three other cats, um, three other theater people. While this thing is making billions of dollars and Andrew Lloyd Webber is like creating like he's people like Andrew Lloyd Webber are given the privilege of choosing what theater is being produced. Right. And they are mega musicals. They're designed like movies to hit the right points, to hit the right things that appeal to a mass audience. And so these theater people who may at their core be more challenging or want to do something that challenges theatrical standards or challenges societal standards are forced to, in a way, sell out. And like just to survive, they need to conform to more culturally accepted or or bourgeois accepted social and cultural values, I guess. It's interesting that you should say that because when I think about what the appeal is of Cats, like the appeal is clearly not the plot. It's not the Mm -hmm. lyricism. In my perception, the appeal of Cats is like the appeal of the Olympics. Like, let's watch these people at the peak of their craft just physically exert themselves in the most complicated ways possible for three hours. (laughs) Right, yeah. Let's watch them convince us that a cast full of anthropomorphic cat people like cat hedonist cultists can be emotionally convincing like Mm -hmm. let's give them the most sort of challenging role that they could possibly get like convince this audience that you a cat with a unique name and a personality that belongs to a cult tribe that believes in this religion of cyclic rebirth Take this persona, convince this audience of bourgeois, upper middle class, white, <laughs> heteronormative individuals. I, I felt something. That you, yeah, that, that you are a character worthy of emotional investment after you have been leaping across the stage for three consecutive hours. Like, let's just push these people to the absolute limit of what they are capable of doing mm-hmm. and see if they can move us. And it's interesting that there's this theme, this theme of hedonism in Cats that's like, you know, we do whatever we want. We live in this reality that's guided by our own principles alone. You know, we have sort of these loose ties to one another, but realistically, like, we're all independent and we do whatever suits us at whatever moment suits us. Mm -hmm. And the juxtaposition of that theme within the performance and the experience of theater, which is taking a bunch of like underpaid, overworked young people who are forced to be on their feet for hours and hours and hours doing something extremely complex and then putting them in front of a bunch of wealthy people who have probably never exerted themselves that much in their entire lives and, you know, expecting 
to just like squeeze every last drop of emotional connection out of these people who are serving you their own human feelings for money. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just so interesting to think about how those themes of, of hedonism of class can be seen in this sort of extremely classist art form itself. I think think that's a great point. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing point. And I think to tie it in to why, right. Why did cats 2019 happen? And I think one reason is of course, you know, money. And I think the other answer to it is I can't think of a better generation that was produced by a hedonistic culture that is now disassociated and horny for death than the millennial Gen Z. <laughs> the nihilist generation. death drive. Yeah. You're yeah. Not, like you're not the, wrong. The, <laughs> the Instagram generation. Like this movie was made for, for the Instagram generation, but it just uh-huh. didn't hit with them because you know, it's, awful (laughs) Um, i think that this goes back to this this concept that we were talking about earlier about the ensemble theater production versus sort of the star-studded cash cow which is you know that all of the all these things that we're identifying all of these themes all of these sort of underlying emotional and sociocultural undercurrents are absent in Cats 2019 because it's impossible to glean any kind of emotional experience from something that was clearly only produced on sort of the the glistening, fleeting presumption that everyone is hungry for nostalgia because they're just desperately trying to escape this horrible nightmare reality that we all live in. Right. This is year zero in the world after Cats 2019 is not the same as the world before Cats 2019. I'm speaking to you, man. There are two cats inside you. One is Garfield. The other is Mistopheles. You have to choose one of these cats to control you. So which way, Western man? Are you Garfield or are you Mistopheles? And they all say, Oh, well, I never was there ever. A cat so clever as magic fool me.